You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. Our text for today is going to be in Mark chapter 15, but I'd invite you just to turn to the Psalms first. I'm going to read that first, uh, Psalm chapter 2, Psalm verse 2. If you want to look at that, we'll read that, and then, then we'll get into Mark 15, depending on how you can get around in your Bible, that's where we'll be, but we want to look at Psalm 2 first. As you're getting to Psalm 2, to give us kind of a context of who we're reading about today, let's look at our picture from last week, and Marshall is here, right? Can you see that? Yeah, see that, right? Marshall, does that look like the rooster you drew last week, right? You got the rooster there. I'll, I'll say it for you. Rock a do, dude. Edu or something like that. No, it's not rock. It's cockadoodle-doo, right? Yeah, you got it. And he's got the root. He got the idea. Look at Peter there. That's Peter. He's got, oh no. He wept. He broke down and wept. That's where we were last week. Peter broke down and wept. And this week we'll see where this goes with Jesus. Thank you, Marshall. Let's look into... Psalm 2 and just read this by way of remembering who it is, this Jesus that we're going to see today, whom the crowds will say, crucify. Listen to Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then He will speak to them in His wrath and terrify them in His fury, saying, As for me, I have set my King on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my Son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry and you perish in the way. For His wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. Pray with me again. Lord, we want to be found as people of God taking refuge in the Son, the Anointed One, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, who reigns yesterday, today, and will reign forever, who is eternal and kind and merciful and a Savior and powerful and who loves with a steadfast love His own. Lord, we come to worship You today. So as we read Your Word, we pray that worship would continue and You would encourage our hearts by Your Spirit to work amongst us, Lord, in the area of conviction, what we need to be convicted in our own maybe condemnation of You, our own straying from You, and, and where we need comfort, that You would comfort with Your love. For we are sinners in need of a Savior in need of Jesus. And I pray all here would be calling in the name of Jesus. 
resting assured in his blood for that salvation. So, Lord, we pray by your spirit, work during this time we have. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you can turn to Mark 15, where we will be going through here. The first 15 verses of Mark chapter 15. Psalm 2 is really, I think, a fitting introduction to our passage before us. We're coming to Jesus, who's been on trial amongst the Jewish leadership, that Sanhedrin, that group. He's now going to be delivered by this group to Pilate, that Roman governor. Our passage really begins back at the house of Caiaphas here, where we're going to dive into it. Jesus has already endured being spit on, being struck, mocked to say, prophesy. And the guards have received him by blows. And now dawn is breaking on this Friday. And Mark takes us back to the Sanhedrin, this Jewish leadership council. And we see them in verse 1 of Mark 15. It says this, And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. We don't really see a vote here of the Sanhedrin, but rather they held a, what it says, at least in the ESV, a consultation. Um, the NIV might say a plan. That's one way to translate it, as they made a plan together. And I think that's what's going on. It's not just a consultation. Hey, how did the night go? Did we do the right thing? It's, I think they're planning. And they're planning for this day. Mark 14.64 tells us they've already condemned Jesus. He's already deserving of death. The question remains, how do we get him to that point? How are we going to get him to this point of death? How are we going to accomplish this so that this Christ, this supposed Son of God, is killed? And so they bind Jesus and they lead him to our character here, Pilate. It's not a pilot of an airplane. It's, pilot, it's different pilot. He's the governor of this region, and he's a governor on behalf of the Roman government in this area. Uh, Pilate and the Jewish leadership here of the Sanhedrin, they were not exactly chums or pals. Um, Pilate's base was in Caesarea near the coast, and we're in Jerusalem here in this. So Pilate has come for this Passover festival, assuming to, to uh, promote peace in this area, maybe a time of tension between the Romans and the Jews and this sort of thing. He's come, he's there as kind of a representative, but really he's normally in Caesarea. But there's already been tension between him and the Jewish rule and the Jews of Jerusalem. Uh, There's already tension between him and them. His actions, he's had some actions that were not uh, in line with the Jewish law. He's brought in some like military insignias into this city that had Caesar, an image of Caesar on them. And so here's an image coming to this this city. Uh, Pilate is, in fact, he's in charge of the temple. He's in charge of the money of the temple. This Roman governor is in charge of the money being given at the temple. And he's doing things with it, making aqueducts and waterways. Uh, You know, he's doing his own thing with this money. He even has charge of the garments of the high priest. So he has this authority, but yet there's this tension between him and this Sanhedrin. And his position gave him the power of death and life. 
The Sanhedrin may vote. We, he's, Jesus is deserving of death. But in order to carry that through, they need this guy, Pilate, to go, go on the order and make it happen and fulfill it. We've got a location, so they bind Jesus. There is a uh, picture up here. It's a little fuzzy. I'm sorry about that. But you can see our familiar temple area on the right. If you just follow that to the left over there, uh, what's called in the, the blurriness, the praetorium or where uh, Pilate would have been. And they took him here. Now, some of what we're going to read is happening outside because these chief priests, they don't want to go inside. They want to stay pure, right? They're going to, they're going to not be unclean by entering this place for their, for their holy day. Even though they've got the Son of God before them and they're stirring up a crowd to say, crucify. We're going to see that. But that's where kind of on the left side in this praetorium is where they brought. So some of this conversation of Jesus and Pilate is one-on-one. You can read the other accounts and the other parallel gospels and then some out kind of maybe a courtyard or an area to the greater crowd out here. So Pilate asks Jesus here, are you the king of the Jews? Look at verse 2. Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, you have said so. So here's Jesus before Pilate with this question. Are you the king of the Jews? We have not seen this title, this title of king of the Jews. And if you just kind of skim your, past, your chapter 15 here, it's going to come up a lot. You'll, you'll hear it as we go through here. It's used a lot, five or six times even in where we're at. It's not really a title given by the Jews, though I think they give this title to uh, Pilate here. One commentator named R.T. France concludes it may be that the Sanhedrin, in order to help Pilate understand the need for the death penalty here, so remember their plan, they want Jesus to be killed. Pilate's the way to do that. In order to help this and move this along, I think they present Jesus as one who claims he's the king of the Jews. That's not their language, but Roman language. And I think it brings with it that shouldn't you put him to death? I mean, if he's calling himself king, you know, what about Caesar? And there's no Caesar but Caesar. And so they present this, I think, to Pilate. And that leads Pilate here to ask Jesus, well, are you? And Jesus responds, at least in the ESV, he says, you have said so. Jesus is not really answering with a, at least we don't see it here, an affirmative yes or a, or a, a, you know, a, a strong no. He just says, you have said this. Some think in that, yes, he's saying yes. Maybe others differ on that. Here's what another commentator says about Jesus' answer. It's a bit ambiguous, isn't it? He says this. In reply to Pilate's question, Jesus responds, you say so, with emphasis on you. So, you, you say so. It is not a direct affirmation or else Pilate would have immediate grounds for execution. But neither is it a denial. The reply is suggestive as if to say, quote, you would do well to consider the question. So Jesus is wisely, I think, answering here. And as we'll see, his answer, at least to Pilate, it has no grounds for execution. Pilate does not see the man before him, at least, and as we go through, I don't think he sees 
this particular guy as an insurrectionist. Jesus answers, you have said so. But then listen, now come the chief priests back into the scene in verse 3, and I'll read through verse 5. The chief priests accused him of many things. You know, they want to make sure this is going to go through here. Uh, Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you? But Jesus made no further answer so that Pilate was amazed. And here the chief priests, they are the vocal ones now, clamoring to convince Pilate this guy deserves death. But the text tells us here Pilate's amazed. Despite all these accusations, Jesus gives no answer. The prophets spoke about this. Isaiah 53, verse 7 through 8 says this, when it speaks of this suffering servant, you can write that down and look this up. It says this, you'll perhaps be familiar with this. It says, he was oppressed, (coughs) excuse me, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, And like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who consider that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. Jesus is going, as the scriptures have said, like a lamb to the slaughter is silent, or to the shears is silent. And I read this and thought, how can that be? I am not a sheep farmer. I've not raised sheep. Some of you that have, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go off what I learned on YouTube, which I guess you've got to be suspect of all that. But uh, is it right when you get to shear a sheep or you're going to slaughter a lamb, that when you get this sheep and this lamb who wants to run away and will flee, once you get that thing on its back, with all the feet up or not touching the ground, it just goes, it just kind of freezes or goes silent. I'm thinking that's at least what the video showed, okay? So we'll go with that. I think that's an interesting idea of here. Here's Jesus. In a sense, here's the, here is the king, not just of the Jews, but of everything. In a sense, being silent as this sheep before its shears is silent. He's not running away. Could he call on the angels to come? We've talked about this. and Call and send them down and be done with this like that quick. And he could that quick. And yet he continues silently, not even answering these. And really, why should he? They've already, they've got, he's already answered the chief priest, hasn't he? He's the son of man. He's going to come. You're going to see me coming in power. And for that, they condemned him to death. So, In one sense, why answer? But he's also silently going. His mission was not to escape suffering and death, but to willingly, voluntarily go forward as a ransom for many. I think we must remember the purpose then of Jesus here. He's going to willingly take on suffering, take on disgrace to bring people, sinners, to ransom them, to buy them back for God. Up to this point, we've seen the injustice of Jesus' trial before the Sanhedrin. And here they continue their accusations. But now the the story climaxes to a great injustice. And here's what it is. A murderer, as we're going to read, we're going to keep reading verse 6, a murderer goes free 
And an innocent man, really the king of all kings, is delivered to be crucified. Look at verses 6 through 8. So here's this, Jesus is not answered, Pilate's amazed. And now we move on to verse 6 through 8. Now at the feast, he, Pilate, used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. Verses 6 and 8 speak of this event. This is something usual. We normally see this, Pilate. You normally do this every year. And I, I think for Pilate, we talked about that strained relationship between Pilate and the Sanhedrin, maybe Jews as a whole. You know, So maybe one way to keep that relationship well-oiled or, or in good is at this feast. Sure, I'll release one prisoner for you. That's what he normally did. It's what he usually did. And so... They're asking for this. Will he release one? And we're introduced then in verse 7 to this other character, Barabbas. We don't know a lot about him uh, other than he was among the rebels. He had committed murder in the insurrection. Luke 23, 19 tells us Barabbas was involved. This insurrection had taken place in the, in the city. Matthew calls him a notorious prisoner. He was a rebel, insurrectionist, a murderer. That's how we're introduced to Barabbas. Now what did the law for the Jews have to say about murderers? What was the penalty? Death. Uh, The command, Exodus 20.13, the sixth commandment, you shall not murder. What's the penalty for that? Numbers 35 tells us. If anyone kills a person... The murderer shall be put to death on the evidence of witnesses. But no person shall be put to death on the testimony of one witness. That kind of sounds a little bit like that trial that we looked at, the evidence. We're talking about this one deserving of death. He's killed a person. What do they deserve? Death. Verse 31 says, Moreover, you shall accept no ransom for the life of a murderer who is guilty of death, but he shall be put to death. According to the Jewish law, what should have Barabbas been taken to or happened to him? Crucify, right? Put him to death, this guy. And we see that's not going to happen. So Pilate puts this question to the people, beginning in verse 9, and I think it's again, he's just going to jab him a little bit, though. I'll, I'll let a prisoner, but I'm just going to give you this. Look at verse 9 through 10. He answered them saying, you know, Hey, we want you to release this guy. Do it like you normally do. And he says to them saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. I think Pilate's kind of messing with him. On one hand, there is a prisoner here for murder, Barabbas, someone that actually bears guilt. And then on the other hand, we see Jesus think at this point and i think Pilate does not see deserving of death we'll see him switch on this for other reasons near the end but in verse 10 that we read we might have read by it quickly i think we learn what's behind this injustice we see what's behind it 
Pilate perceived that it was out of envy that these chief priests um, had delivered him up. Envy. Pilate perceives it. Mark records it. One commentator, James Edwards, defines envy. Think about this definition of envy. Grief or anger caused by another's success. Envy. Grief or anger caused by another's success. Who's been successful in that temple area? Who's had the crowds marvel at him? Jesus has. These guys don't like that going on. They're envious. We do the same thing. Hannah and I were this week at the community dinner playing some bingo. We, we didn't put any money into it. It's just free and you get a dollar or uh, Leroy Bucks or whatever and it's fun. But even at a, at a harmless bingo game with some of the elderly in our town, there's envy going on, right? When somebody yells bingo, everybody at the tables does not stand up and go, Unless it's Madeline. For Madeline kids, you know, they'll do that. They'll cheer. It's mostly like, how, you know, you won again. Or there, there's envy. There's, there's, there's some anger. There's some resentment at somebody else's success. And we're, we're like that. Somebody's successful. Sometimes we think, oh, we're angry. And that's what's going on with these chief priests. Whatever it is, maybe their high status, the regard they had amongst the people, um, Everything about Jesus, it's a threat, really, to these chief priests who are worthless, worthless shepherds for these people. I mean, think of who a priest was to be, chief priest. Think of just that title of priest. It's, they're the very ones who are to be representatives of God to the people and the people to God. They're to be the mediators between people and their God. Out of anyone, they should have been overjoyed that Christ has come. But they're not. And they're envious. They want to keep their power or their control or their status or their funding. And Jesus, as we've talked about, He's been successful in His teaching. People marvel at it. But instead of praise, we see condemnation. The waywardness of sinful hearts, not unlike any of ours, that we struggle with as well. Well, these leaders have an influence, don't they? And they use their power and leadership to stir up the crowd in verse 11 to ask for Barabbas. They stirred up the crowd, verse 11, to have have Pilate really release for them Barabbas instead. They're stirring up, you know, hey, hey, this is who we want. Yeah, not, no, not the guy, king of the Jews. Here's what we want. Barabbas, that's the name. Barabbas? Yes, chief priest. Okay. And they're influencing this crowd. Well, who is this crowd? Who made up the crowd? Was, maybe some question, was this the same crowd that at the beginning of the week had cried out, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord on that Palm Sunday? Seems a long time ago. It was only a week ago uh, in the writing for us a long time ago. Was that the same crowd? Is it, is it just one for one? That crowd is the same crowd here that's being stirred to eventually call out to crucify. I, I think it's too simplistic to say it's just one to one. It's that crowd, they're the crowd that turned. I think there's some from the welcoming on the Palm Sunday that were probably here that were turning their tune some. That could be. Um, 
Perhaps it was the crowd that had so recently in the temple marveled at this teaching of Jesus. Remember all his teaching in the temple and those questions that came at him and they marveled at him? These people um, have seen this and they're marveling and now they're here and being led by their leadership. Their tune is changing. None of the gospel writers here make a clear connection that these two crowds, the one from Palm Sunday entering and this one, are the same. But I think what we can see from this crowd, and I think make some inference from those that are simply marveling or amazed at Jesus, is how, how quickly an astonished crowd or an inquisitive crowd can change loyalties quite quickly. To listen to Jesus in the temple one day, oh, wow, great words. Oh, you want me to yell? Crucify. That's what you want? Sure. And they're changed. See this around us as well. Think of the, I mean, NFL is fair game for this. You know, even the fans who wear the jersey of their maybe favorite quarterback or their team, the fans in the stadium, if halftime comes and the team is not doing well, what do you hear sometimes if you can hear it on the TV or if you're in the stands? You hear booing from the home crowd. The crowd is turned. When they started out, when they ran out, everybody was cheering. And when they're running back in at halftime and things aren't going so well, there's boos. They change. I mean, wouldn't it be encouraging to cheer them on like you can do it? Maybe they think the booing will encourage them. I don't somehow. But we see that. How quickly a crowd can turn. And that's what's going on here, at least in part. And turn they do. So look at verse 12, and I'll read through 14. So Pilate again, he said to them, here's another question comes out, then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? What do you want me to do with him? And they cried out again, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. And these are the words that go out from this crowd to crucify. Not once, but they cry it out, crucify. Even as Pilate, he would try to say, what, what has he done? What's your basis for this? What evil is there? Crucify. The crowd's going in one direction, led by their worthless leadership to this direction. To crucify to literally hang on a tree, to affix Jesus to the cross. That's what we want you to do with the so-called King of the Jews. Remember Psalm 2? Kiss the Son lest He be angry. Not this crowd. We're not going to welcome Him. Deuteronomy 21-23 speaks of one who is hanged on a tree as one who is cursed by God. Free the murderer... Kill the one who calls himself the Christ. That's the crowd. And then verse 15 gives the conclusion, really a summary, if you will, of what's taken place and kind of brings it back. Now, verse 15, so Pilate. Seems like up till now, Pilate has not had reason against Jesus. He's not seeing the fault. But Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. 
And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. The Sanhedrin and even the crowd, for that matter, have been supposedly satisfied by Pilate, right? He's wanting to satisfy the crowd. How long do you think that satisfaction is going to last? Because though Jesus will eventually be crucified, he will rise again and a movement will go out and we will find Peter back before Caiaphas proclaiming the name again. It's not working, but it's all according to the plan of God. Barabbas is released, a murderer, and Jesus is scourged or flogged. It's that idea of that, that whip with the pieces of the bone and metal in it. And this, as I'm reading here, is something they would customarily do before a crucifixion. Uh, one place I, said, I think it said um, hopefully the crucifixion would be shorter. So we're going to put him on a cross, we're going to whip him, scourge, flog him first with these whips that dig into the flesh with the bone and the metal before the crucifixion. And that's what Jesus endures. And we're going to look a little more next week at the next chunk of Scripture in this hailing of the King of the Jews by, uh, by these soldiers here. But like a lamb to its slaughter is silent, Jesus willingly endures on the road to the cross. As we look back on this account and this passage here, just a couple of brief applications from the people we've met along the way. So we're now, we've kind of worked through the passage just to look back a little bit at the people that we have met here. We've met the Sanhedrin. If we were to describe that or look for application with the Sanhedrin, this Jewish council, the application, one, leadership matters. It matters how they lead. Leadership matters. The crowd is swayed by their leading. And their leading is tainted by hearts of envy. Leadership matters. So, I mean, we're just looking at application. Pray for your leaders. Pray for your government, for our president, for the leadership, for our leaders in this city, for our leaders in this church, to pray for them, that they would have hearts, not of envy and not of wickedness or self-gain, but hearts for the glory of God, to pray for them. Those, and think about even others that lead. You're a leader. may not be in a city or a government, in your home. Leadership matters. The crowd is moving based on how they, how this leadership stirred up the crowd. What are you stirring up? That's Sanhedrin. Well, this crowd. Uh, what about the crowd? Phrase here, be wary of the rush of the crowd. Be wary. Be leery, maybe a better word. Leery of the rush of the crowd. They're so easily swayed. We're going this way. Nope, back this way. Oh, I think this is it. This is hot now. We should do this, that, the crowd. I want to be part of the crowd. All these things. We want to fit in. Listen to Jesus' words. You can write these down. John 15, 18 through 20. And listen for you, disciple, who say, I surrender all. I'm following Jesus. Listen to how Jesus talks about, yes, this happened to Jesus. What, what about us who follow Christ? He says in John 15, 18 through 20, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. 
If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. What's he saying? What we're seeing here, the persecution, the injustice, you might say, of this, the wrong accusations, on and on of this passage, if they persecuted Jesus and you're a follower of him, that's what you can expect. Praise God for who we are persecuted for, the name of the Savior, who though they may kill the flesh, we are with him forever. Prepare to stand out. Be counted as a disciple of Christ in school, at work, in your family. Know that the crowd and its leaders who have rejected the king will reject you as well. Be steadfast by the sustaining power of God. Well, there's Pilate as well. Who's Pilate here? How would we sum up him? He seems swayed by the crowd despite the evidence. He's swayed as well. Almost all three, the Sanhedrin, the crowd, Pilate. He got wrong motives. Throughout the text, he seems unconvinced of the guilt of Jesus, but here at the end, what wins for Pilate? Satisfy the crowd. Jesus may be innocent. The right thing would be to set him free, but the crowd, he wants to satisfy the crowd to do what in the moment seems easier rather than follow the truth that's before him. And then there's this character, Barabbas. And I think in Barabbas, we can see our own guilt. We're not told how Barabbas walked away from this instance here. I don't know. I haven't read anywhere of whether he went back to his insurrectionist lifestyle and said, I got another chance. I'm going to go do more. Maybe. You think he walked away from that, being condemned to murder, being in prison, whatever they did to him in prison, probably similar things, the beating, and it's not a just place. And do you suppose he walks away from that? Perhaps. We have no idea. But he looks back and says, that was, wait, he's being crucified. That was mine. I was supposed to be there on that cross. There's, there's a picture I think Mark is doing it, and this is not my own thing, but just as I've read, and I can't remember who I read it from, this idea of seeing this substitution going on here, of Barabbas and Jesus in the place of Barabbas. We don't know how he walked away, but our sins, the same as Barabbas, deserve the just penalty of death. My disobedience, my following after other little gods, deserves the wrath of God, be it not for the grace of Jesus Christ. And so we want to, as Barabbas, see our guilt. Maybe I haven't murdered with something in my hand, but I've murdered with my heart. I've lied. I've not worshipped God. And to see our guilt and to cry out, instead of crying out, crucify, cry out, Jesus, save me, forgive me. And then our last character here, Jesus, the king of all kings, the innocent, the true king, the silent lamb, bearing injustice, 
bearing this crowd, the scourging, serving his own rather than being served, and giving his life as a ransom for many. I want you to turn as we conclude and look at Acts chapter 3. There's one more place in Acts you could look, but Acts chapter 3, I think, gives us, uh, verse 11, gives us a summary of this very event. Peter's going to talk about what we've just read through. It's going to help explain some of it. I think it sheds light on the event we just looked at. Uh, Peter and John, they've come up to someone that was lame and they've healed him. Uh, These people have gathered around. uh, Verse 11 in Acts chapter 3 says, While he, that's this, I think this lame person that got healed, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. So this is after Jesus has risen from the dead. This is later on. Verse 12, And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, Why do you wonder at this, or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? don't, Don't look at us. Verse 13, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. Verse 14, Listen to Peter. He's speaking in, presumably even maybe some that were in that crowd itself. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Faith in the name of Jesus. You guys, you denied the holy and righteous one. You let a murderer go free and you killed the author of life. Peter tells him later in verse 19, Repent, turn, that your sins may be blotted out. You've been following the crowd lately instead of the Savior? Denying Jesus while satisfying your own selfish desires, maybe in a room that nobody knows about? Leading poorly? Murderous like we talked about, maybe not outwardly, but in our hearts? Or unsteady to live this Christian life on your own? Repent. Turn again to this holy and righteous one. To this one who died, this author of life, for forgiveness. Call on the only name that can save. And instead of yelling, crucify him, by his power, crucify your flesh and its desires. And then gaze on the Lamb who takes away the sins of the world. Psalm 2 ends, Blessed are all who take refuge in him. May he be your refuge. Let me pray. Father, how can we think that we would be any different, swayed by a crowd, 
Or maybe we think, well, I'd be a disciple. Well, they all fled too. Father, we're lost without your power and your grace in our lives. Lord, through this, we exalt the name of Jesus, the one who can save, the one who was silent, who endured all this to the cross, that our transgressions and our iniquities might be covered over, that we might repent and turn again, that our sins might be blotted out, wiped out, remembered no more, that we can live in peace with you. Lord, I pray in our lives you would prepare us for the day of persecution. Prepare us, Lord. If they persecuted Jesus, he's already told us to expect it. They're going to persecute us. Lord, may we be strong by your power, not by our own flesh on that day. And may we live this week for your glory with eyes set on the Lamb, eyes set on Jesus, our Savior. We pray in Jesus' name.